So yesterday when I woke up, I did the following thing, and I just want to, you can help me know how I was feeling in this moment. So I woke up and I knew that a day of yard work was ahead of me. Uh, before, before going out to do the yard work though, I decided to check Facebook, which is probably never a good thing to do anyway. And I saw that my friends are at water parks and the beach and having cookouts and uh, doing all sorts of great things. So in that moment, now I've got yard work weeding, which is one of the most excellent things you could possibly do in the yard. How am I feeling? Yeah, I'm not feeling great. So after that, since I'm going through my whole social media checklist, I open up Twitter and I, I see a, a tweet from a coach that I follow. And he said over this past week, he, he was thankful for the 90 new followers he had gotten on Twitter. And I, I got one. So how am I feeling? Yeah, well, I unfollowed him, so it was just 89 for him. Thank you very much. I don't need that kind of pressure. Then I went on to Instagram, the big three, and I saw people coming home from early morning workouts and they're jogging and walking their dog and pictures of their abs and I had cake for breakfast. Uh, again, how am I feeling? Yes. Actually, the cake made me feel pretty good. Okay, let me just be honest with you. I slept in and had cake. So we're talking today about comparison and the trap that comparison is in our lives and what it does to us. And we see a, a really good biblical example of this uh, in Paul in, when, in one of his letters to the, to the Corinthian church. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 today. So if you got a Bible, if you want to get it up on your phone or whatever you do, I, I have old man eyes, so I'm going to read it off paper, but I do own a Bible. I always bring this every week to show you that I actually have a printed version, uh, so you know I'm super spiritual. So in 2 Corinthians, Paul is, Paul is addressing some, some intruders in his ministry. He'd gone, he'd planted the church, he had had to come back, he had to correct some, some mis, uh, misconceptions they had about the gospel and the life of the gospel. And while he's away again, some people had come into, into the church and they were preaching a, a different gospel. And so the Corinthians were being, they were being led astray by this. They were being led away from Christ. And, and the reason that the Corinthians were fall, falling for this is because there was a comparison going on. And the same kind of comparison that, that we make and we fall into, whether it's regarding church or work or the amount of money in the bank or our family, uh, we do this the same thing. So Paul's authority was being called into question because he had no letter of recommendation which was typical of the day when somebody would go in and speak and, and try to educate people, that they would have a, a letter of recommendation. He wasn't good-looking. He was unimpressive to look at. He, he was timid when he was around people in his speech. He wasn't trained in speaking. So that would have implications. And then also, he would not receive payment. So if you... If, if he wasn't willing to receive payment, it made, it made it seem like he wasn't worth anything. And this is really a picture of, of the garden all over again, where Adam and Eve, they, they're tempted by the fruit, 
and they, they see that it looks good and that it's good for food. And so they, they make a decision. They've compared the fruit and what they hope to get out of it with God and what, what they're getting from him, and they make a decision. And really, I mean, that speaks to our, our culture of Christian celebrity, too. I mean, there's a lot of churches founded on good-looking, good-speaking pastors and teachers. So this is something that is totally relevant to us now. So we have this comparison trap. And our culture, our culture is, is set up for us to fall into this trap. There are messages everywhere coming at us. I listed the, the three ones that I fell into yesterday morning before, uh, before the need for yard work. But there's TV on all the time, 100 channels, there's magazines, there's movies, there's, uh, there, there, there's every form of communication, every sense, and it's all giving us a message or an image, typically, of how we are not measuring up or, or rating. So comparison, for us, as we follow Christ, is a, is a fruit of our desire to create wholeness apart from God. We attempt to cover our own brokenness, and one of the tools that we use to do this is by, by comparing. And so, as we fight this lie that something apart from God or something instead of God or something in addition to God is needed for us to, to be whole, I want to look at how comparison feeds into that. Because what we're going to see is really comparison gives us the opposite feeling. Instead of feeling whole, we feel dissatisfied, we, we, we feel unworthy, and we tend to fall into conflict because of the comparison. So now I'm turning to 2 Corinthians. This is chapter 10. I'm going to read the first, three, the first three verses for us. It says, Paul says, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Paul's telling the Corinthians that God doesn't always give us what we think we need. God doesn't operate according to the standards uh, of this world or the, 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 the standards or the desires of our flesh. And comparison was making the Corinthian church blind to the gospel message. They were turning their eyes away from Jesus and his message of restoration. And so the first thing that comparison draws us into is comparison is an accusation against God. Comparison accuses God. It's us standing on our platform and saying, I know what's best. I know what is better for me than you know, God. I was preaching a, a, like a decade ago, but this incident is always on the top of my mind. I was, at, I was at a church, and afterward, I'm out in the lobby, and this man made a beeline for me. And I was actually a little frightened because he had that look in his eyes. And he came up to me and he said, he said this. I'll never forget this quote. It's, he says, when I saw you come out and it wasn't the usual preacher, I was angry. That, that, 
that makes you feel welcome, right? Because I like him more than I like you. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Please don't say this to me after service today, okay? <laughs> but God spoke to me through you today. So, yeah, amen. I thanked him, but all the while I'm thinking, well, in the Old Testament, God spoke through a donkey as well. So I'm not necessarily sure that this is like the highest praise. But his perception of what God was going to do in this moment was clouded by his comparison. And because of that, he almost missed what God wanted to, wanted to teach him that day. See, when, when we compare we, we, and we accuse God, it's, it's out of a lack of trust. It's, it's distrust that God actually wants what's best for us. Or that God loves us enough to maybe do what we, we don't want him to do. It's telling God, I want to feel whole and I want to do it my way. So we become adversaries. But the... the the way of the gospel, the way of being in Christ, is not the, is not the way of, of the world. Our flesh wants to take the role of God. Our flesh wants to determine what is right or wrong, what is best for me. And the way it does that is through strength and through power and popularity and wealth and style and acclaim. And we could, we could list all those things because those sound good. Like if you woke up in the morning and your, your Facebook page was filled with, with, with great posts about you and people praising you, you'd go through the day feeling pretty good. Our, our flesh likes that stuff. And we use our comparison to, to cover our weakness and our brokenness and create significance. Our prayers model this. Our prayers become demands. God, if you love me, I need more money. God, if, if, if you hear me, God, then make my wife love me a little more. We demand proof, right? We want to know, God, today prove to me again that you love me. It's not enough that I'm in Christ. It's not enough that I, 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 have, I, I have restoration and redemption and peace with you and freedom. I need, I need proof in my circumstances. I was, at a, I was at a conference for pastors, and on the stage, one of the pastors had a... Had a, a a very real and revealing talk. And he said that, that in, in the life of his church, when attendance was good and when giving was good, he felt tight with God. He felt like everything was rolling along good and that, that, that he and God were in a, in a great place. But if he had a weekend where attendance was down or giving was down or something went amiss and didn't go according to plan, he had the total opposite feeling. So, so his circumstances were defining his, his relationship with God. And so he was comparing from week to week from him and comparing from church to church. I have this many people signing up for groups, and it was, it was consuming him. And he was standing as an adversary to what God was, was trying to do. When we seek our comfort, our significance, our security in the standards of the world— we are opposed to God. But in Christ, we have peace with God. In, in the gospel, we, we learn to be content and to trust 
And Paul references the humility of Christ, and that's the humility that, that comes out as a fruit of us when we, are, when we are rooted in him. So rather than accusing God, we get to live in gratitude. Whether I have the things that I want or not, I can be grateful that I'm in Christ, that God loved me enough to, to send his son, that Christ lived in the ultimate humility of doing something none of us would, would have done on, on our own so that we could be restored. So continuing in 2 Corinthians, Paul keeps going in verse 4. He says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. So Paul gives a little insight to, to our part in this. How, how do we fight against standing in opposition to God? Because comparison sets up strongholds, walls in our thinking, and it creates expectations of us. Right? Here's a very real example. If you're married, you know, you know this happens because there's, there's times, believe it or not, when you're not necessarily happy with your spouse. Right? This may come as a surprise to some of you, but this happens. And, and what we do sometimes is we say, okay, you know what? Dan's wife does this and this and this, and my wife doesn't. So I feel some sort of deficit because now, because I'm comparison, I have expectations. Right? And we live in these expectations that I know that my wife is a good wife if she's, she's doing the same things that somebody else's wife are. We do the same thing with our children. Right? We have expectations of our children because sometimes we compare them with other children. We compare them to our hopes that we have for our children. And so these, these expectations become walls in our thinking and they affect our behaviors and our reactions. And so comparison holds us captive to our thoughts. So I would ask you this morning, are you taking captive your thoughts or are your thoughts taking you captive? Comparison leads to kind of a, uh, an identity of victimhood. Right? I'd have the ability to be a better husband if my wife was just a, a better wife to me. And we, we develop this link between our hearts and our thoughts. And so comparison gives us the ability to justify our behavior. Well, if I had the same resources that the people down the street had, then I'd be able to give more to, to my church. Or I'd be able to volunteer on a Saturday at the, at the, the soup kitchen. You know, that we justify our behavior by comparing us, our circumstance, to somebody else's. Comparison leads to uh, the thinking thinking in a disappointed framework. I'm going to constantly live in disappointment because I checked Facebook and my friends are at the beach and they are at the water park and they are having cookouts and they're having friends over and they're watching football and I am pulling weeds in the front yard and I'm sweating and I'm sore and I hate this. So I'm disappointed. Or we're just satisfied. We, we walk into somebody's house and immediately, what are you doing? You're comparing. You want to know where you measure up. 
Oh, they've got, they've got nicer wood floor than I do. Their countertops are better. Their whole house is cleaner, so their life is way more organized than, than mine. And so I live in this perpetual dissatisfaction with my life and how things are going. Or I envy. Right? I, I envy and I covet and I think of ways, how can, how can I get this? How can I live the same standard? Or, as we walk down this path, we develop thinking of contempt. Right? I, I'm really a better person than they are. They must have lied and cheated and stealed to, to get these things. I'm, I'm way more spiritual because I don't, have, I don't have as much. I find when I coach people and in churches, one of the subtle things that happens when we compare is we, we develop a little attitude of superiority. You know, I don't sin in the same way that somebody else does. My life's good, at least I didn't do that. These, these are strongholds in our thinking. These are the things that take us captive. And it's not just the external stuff when I look outside myself. A lot of, a lot of this comparison is internal to, to my ideals or a sense of perfection, the sense of, uh, of, of how I wish I behave. Like when I, when I drive home today, I'm going to think of all the things I wish I had said to you, all the genius points and the, the clever ways of saying things that I should have blessed you with, okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this moment. I'm going to have to talk myself out of that. I have a very intentional process where I've got I've to take captive my thoughts, and I have to talk myself out of saying, I didn't say what God wanted me to say this morning. Taking captive our thoughts becomes an intentional process. And, and Paul, Paul commands the Corinthian church, that they, they have to work on taking captive their thoughts, that they can't just fall victim to, to every unsound teaching that comes in because the, the teacher looks better or talks better or got paid more money in that moment. And the gospel is supposed to break down these walls in our thinking. In Christ, we have the truth. It's the truth that sets us free. And so when we have one of these uh, when we have contempt for someone else, well, the truth is they are another image bearer. They, 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 noticing their humanity, doing that intentionally, is taking captive those thoughts. When you're dissatisfied, living in gratitude, remembering the stuff, remembering the ways God has worked in your life in the past or now, what you see him doing might not be the same thing, He's teaching you different lessons than he's teaching your neighbor. You've got to take captive these thoughts. Our circumstances become the vessel for us that we get to use to build the kingdom of God. Right? I know that I, I know that there's injustice, and I know that a lot of us are not where we would like to be or have the things we would like to have, but God has then equipped you uniquely to reach certain people. So in Christ, there is a truth that replaces the, the lies and the, 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 the walls and the strongholds. You know, the truth, in my, the truth in my marriage, as it relates, is change starts with me. Change starts with me living in Christ and developing my, my identity and my, my significance from him and not trying to get that from, from my wife. 
so that she can have the freedom to be who she is. So when I am dissatisfied, I have to first look at what's going on in me. What am I expecting from her that, that, that she wasn't designed to give? Or my worth doesn't come from, from my house. My worth comes that I'm chosen and I'm loved in, uh, in Christ that I'm formed in the image of God. I mean, there might be some other things you could do to, to fix up your house, and I'm not saying that, that that's not the case, but it's not a matter of are you, are you loved by the Creator? And this comes from, from our comparison. Paul continues, You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ... They should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that what we are in in our letters when we are absent We will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. So because of these worldly standards that the the Corinthians were were falling prey to, they, they were calling Paul's belonging to Christ in question. They were doubting whether Paul was even a follower of Jesus because of the external appearances that Paul wasn't measuring up to. And this is the third thing that comparison does in our lives. Comparison tears down. Comparison creates division. It's either an I'm better than they are or I'm worse than they are. But comparison creates division. Our significance in the flesh ends up coming at the expense of, uh, of other people. And so the, the, this is how the, the Corinthians could then say, we're going to tear down Paul. They couldn't have both, right? You can't hear the, 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 the hope-filled message of Paul and, and understand who he is in Christ, but also require him to live by the standards of the world. It's, it's a one or the other proposition. So comparison feeds our sense of competition. Right? We, we, competition is a good thing. It's great on the football field. It's great on the baseball field. But when we have churches competing against each other, that's, that's, not a, that's not a good thing. When we have ministries within a church competing against each other, when we have individual followers of Christ competing against each other, to see whether it's to see who looks best or who attracts the most followers or who has the most volunteer sign up on a Sunday... That is, that is the opposite of community. It's the opposite of living interconnected in Christ and realizing that what you do and what I do is equally important but different. And Paul's opponents were, were tearing him down in order to build themselves up. They were, they were using their own standard to do it. They were comparing themselves by themselves. So they were the judge. These opponents of Paul were the judge of what's right or wrong. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. When you can decide if your behavior is right or wrong or perfect or not perfect, that's, that's a pretty good situation to be able to, to live and to minister in. 
So these people wrote their own... They had, yes, they had a letter of commendation. They wrote it themselves. It's like printing out your own degree, you know, and saying, oh, I graduated from the, the degree uh, the College of Scott Perkins. Congratulations. I 4.0 average. It was great. So, I mean, how this tears down in a very real way, you know, if, if you're a guy and you're checking out the waitress at the restaurant or you're oogling at the, the magazine rack at Publix, your wife's there. I mean, you shouldn't be doing that anyway, but if your wife's there and sees that, you're tearing her down. So instead of having the security in marriage that, that she wants and needs, she has fear that she's not worth loving. And this opens up this opens up her shame and her response to that. Your, your comparison and your expectations get experienced like a weight uh, on her that she can't measure up. And the same thing goes for, for, for ladies. You know, if, you, if you've been in a group, like I see this a lot, and sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it's unintentional, but when you're in a group and, and uh, you know, a wife eagerly corrects her husband's mistake... Or, or tears down his ability to fix the cabinets at home, or compares how much money he earns compared to somebody else in the room, right? That is speaking to his inadequacy, and it comes from comparison, and it tears him down. And it might, it might be out of revenge, and there might be legitimate hurt going on, but I mean, that's, not really going, that's not really very helpful. But in both those cases... And we could sit here and we could list hundreds like that. Both of those cases, it's an attempt to make yourself feel superior, yourself have the high moral ground by tearing somebody else down. I mean, in, in the Bible, it, it says that, that there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. Right? And it doesn't say that because there's not... Uh, there's not significance to those things, that there's, there, there's not uh, importance to those things, there's not injustice in those things, it's not trying to wipe them away, it's saying that, that your measure of who you are and how you relate to God is not dependent on any worldly standard at all. The gospel builds up. The world, worldly standards tear down, the gospel builds up, builds up. And this is what the Lord gave Paul the authority to do. In Matthew, this, this is how Jesus says it. He says, The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So those who live by the world's standards, God's going to have the last word with them. Those who, who humble themselves and, and surrender who they are to, to God and then and live in the fruit that comes out of that by serving others, by building the kingdom of God, not their own personal kingdom, those are the ones that God is going to say, I know you. You've done well. The gospel is our righteousness. It's what makes us what makes us right in the eyes of God when we are clothed with Christ, when we remain in him. And then we are able to build up others because our foundation is secure. The opposite of comparison is compassion. Experiencing what another does, 
getting, getting into their mess, fully immersing yourself in, in another's circumstance, like Christ did. I mean, imagine the amount of compassion it took to be sitting in heaven, and then next thing, you're on earth, you're wearing skin, and it's, you're not in heaven anymore. I mean, that's significant. Com- did that out of compassion. He did that because we were like sheep without a shepherd. All of us astray, trying to do our own thing. Christ demonstrated compassion to us. It's the opposite of, of comparing. When, when was the last time you built up your kids, if you have kids? When, when was the last time that when they were having trouble, instead of saying, when I was your age, I worked hard, and when I was your age, I, I started working down at the convenience store, when I was 14, I'd earned money. And instead of, that's comparing. That's not building up. When did you get into their world and see what they're experiencing and see how they're trying to respond to it and what they might be telling you by their, their actions? I mean, building up is not saying you're the best and then moving on, but building them up in the gospel. When was the last time you built up a friend or a coworker, or a spouse, or, or anybody else, and told them the truth of who they are as God sees them, not by some measure that the world sees them. The gospel builds up. So Paul finishes up this little passage. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but we'll confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We're not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did not get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. But let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Paul is saying that his task is to keep moving out. And as he is discipling and writing to the Corinthians, it is with an eye on the uncharted territory beyond. He's not involved taking up somebody else's ministry, speaking to somebody else's people, trying to, trying to change what the ministry that is going, going on. He's not involved in another man's territory. And so the result is that by comparing the Corinthians were missing the gospel message from the one that was explicitly sent to them. And so the the last thing that comparison does is comparison causes us to miss God's work in our lives. You know, when we compare our spouse to another, what we do is we miss how God is trying to form us in our marriage, how God is trying to reveal the things that we are clinging to that are not him, so that we can learn to, to release them. When we compare our kids to others, we miss what God is revealing about, about our own sanctification and theirs through, through our parenting. 
When we compare our ministry, whatever that is, to another, we miss out on the ground that God is preparing for us to go and walk into. Each of us in here, we've got a unique background, we've got unique circumstances, and God himself has prepared in advance the work that he wants us to do. We can't, we can't take our design and walk another's path and walk into ministry that was prepared for, for somebody else. This, this is not unique to us, this, this looking elsewhere to trying to find where, where can I do ministry or whose ministry can I latch on to to get some artificial growth. This is, uh, this is Peter speaking to Jesus. It's always Peter, right? Peter is always the one that has the, 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 the guts and the, the, the blindness to say things. And Peter turned, this is John chapter 21. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Um, Most people think that's John. And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. So Jesus' point here is, don't compare yourself to John. You're not him. What I do with John, where I take him, how long he lives, how effective he is, that's up to me, not up to you. Peter, your job is to follow me, and I'm going to lead you to the place that, that I want you to, to, to minister. See, for me, it's, take, it's taken a while. It's taken a while for me to, to, to really enjoy who I am as a teacher, to not compare myself to others, I'm not as funny as some people. I'm, I'm not as insightful as others. But I know that God's given me a unique voice. And I try to walk confidently in that. But it hasn't been an easy process. I've got to be faithful to the ministry that God has given me. Whether that's, that's writing, whether that's with church leaders, whether that's with disciples, whoever it is that God brings in my path. And I've learned great pains, believe me, contentment in that. That if I have five pastors I'm working with, I'm going to work with them the best I can. If I have 50, I'd love that. I'll be content in doing that because God's got me on my path. It's not the same path that Anthony is on. It's not the same path Lars is on. And that's a good thing. The same is true for you. Don't let worldly standards keep you from taking your next step fearing that it's not big enough so why bother it's just one person right so so it really doesn't matter or that you don't speak well enough or that you don't know enough bible verses we can find a hundred reasons why we shouldn't walk our path right why we should be why we should be scared to but there's one big reason we should and that's that jesus is right there with us And he's not having us go anywhere that he's not going to be step-by-step walking with us. I have a a little booklet that expands this whole thing about comparison a little more if you're interested. Uh, I'll be outside. Just give me your email. I'll send it to you this afternoon. But what I want to do is I just want to finish with a quote by a a, a pastor. His name's Wayne Cordiero. He's in Hawaii, which is where everyone would like to be a pastor. I know I would, so good for him. Comparison right there. He's a... Okay, everybody's invited. Sorry, Anthony, I'm just tearing your church. We're all going to Hawaii. Uh, He's written a bunch of books, 
And he, he said this. I saw him speak, and I just loved it. I wrote this down because I, I thought it was, if you're able to live this way, it's, it's wisdom. He said, in the end, God is not going to hold you accountable for what you have done. He is going to hold you accountable for doing what he asked you to get done. God's responsible for the results. So stick to your path. Stick to who you are. Stick to who you're created to be in Christ. And free yourself from comparing to others. Please pray with me. God, thank you so much for the, the freedom that we get to live in in Christ. And thank you so much that whether we're taking the two steps forward or the one step back, that, that you are there encouraging and cheering and disciplining and doing whatever it takes to conform us in the image of your son. So God, I pray that we can live lives of compassion. I pray that the truth of Jesus will help us overcome the comparing thoughts and the lies and uh, the ways that we try to tear ourselves and tear others down. I thank you that the truth of the gospel, Paul wrote this to to a church 2,000 years ago, and it's still fresh and new and relevant to us. So thank you for that, and we love Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen.